John 20, starting at verse 1, the word of the Lord. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, 
and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So far, the reading of God's word. The text, which is for this sermon, the sermon was prepared by Reverend W. Bradenhoff. He chose this text, the verses 1, John 20, verses 1 to 9. I will read that portion again in preparation for the proclamation of the word. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. After the proclamation of God's word, we sing together from Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus, we sometimes say seeing is believing, or sometimes I have to see it to believe it. For many people, seeing and believing go together. If they can't see something with their own two eyes, they won't believe it. This is easy to understand, even for the younger brothers and sisters. If I tell you tomorrow that I'm going to give each of you a million dollars, what would you think? You know I'm an honest person, sure, 
But you also know that I'm not so wealthy that I can give every person here a million dollars. You might say, this elder is kidding or maybe lying or maybe mistaken. But maybe you might say, just wait till tomorrow and see what happens. If he gives me the million dollars, then I'll believe it. You have to see it to believe it. Seeing is believing, especially when we're speaking about something that's very difficult to believe. We find the same thing in our Bible passage for Easter morning this morning. In this passage, God uses the sight of the empty tomb to create faith in the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection happened on the first day of the week, on a Sunday morning. The Lord Jesus had been crucified, dead, and buried on Good Friday. As we heard on Friday morning, our Savior actively and willingly gave up His life for us. After saying, it is finished, He gave up His spirit and died. Afterwards, his body was taken to the tomb belonging to Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph carried the body of our Lord there together with Nicodemus, the man who had visited Jesus by night back in John 3. Together they wrapped Jesus' body with linen and spices and placed him in a fresh tomb in the garden. By the way, notice how the story of our redemption begins in a garden of Eden and comes to a glorious climax in a garden just outside Jerusalem. And now it was very early on Sunday morning. The sun had not yet come up. Mary Magdalene was a friend of Jesus. She went out to the tomb where he had been laid, joined by a couple of other women. The nearest family members would have stayed at home mourning for seven days. But friends and more distant family were often known to visit the tombs within three days after the burial. And so it is here. In her devotion to Jesus, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb not only to pay her respects, but also to place more spices on his body. Spices were used to mask the smells associated with decomposition. When Mary arrived at the tomb, something caught her eye. There were no Roman soldiers there. The Jewish leaders remembered Jesus' words about his resurrection, that he would rise from the dead after three days. They thought his disciples would steal his body away, so they had gone to Pilate to ask for a guard on the tomb. Now, those soldiers were nowhere to be seen. Not only that, but someone had moved that giant stone that was the door for the tomb. The tomb was wide open. Mary right away jumped to a logical conclusion. Someone had come along and stolen Jesus' body. She went running to Peter and John and told them what she saw. Mary made the assumption that either the Roman soldiers or the Jewish leaders must have taken away the body 
We don't know why we don't know. Maybe they put him in a criminal's grave. But nevertheless, the fact is the body is missing and nobody knows where he went. Note the way that Mary speaks here. She says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. She recognizes that his body is an important part of his identity. This reflects the biblical understanding of who we are as human beings. We are made up of both material and immaterial parts. Our bodies are just, a mar- just as much a part of who we are as our souls. That's why we treat human bodies with respect, both in life and in death. And the resurrection of Christ's body proclaims to us that he is a complete Savior, that he saves everything about us, not just the immaterial, but also the material. Not just the soul, but also the body. The Lord Jesus has victory over sin, and he has victory over death, which is a consequence of sin. He has victory over the grave, the grave where our physical bodies will be laid after we die. The victory he accomplished in his body is our victory. And someday our physical bodies will share in his resurrection. The grave ultimately had nothing on him and it will have nothing on us. Indeed, we can shout it out, O death, where is your sting? What do Peter and John do? When they hear the report of the missing body. Well they don't take Mary's word for it. Like it or not. A woman's word was not worth all that much in that time. And in that culture. Peter and John had to go and check it out for themselves. Just to be sure. They might have done so at any rate. So they jump up and start running for the tomb. John runs faster than Peter and he gets there first. But he doesn't go inside. He simply stands on the outside looking in. He sees the pieces of linen cloth that were used to wrap Jesus' body. But the body is nowhere to be seen. And then the slowpoke shows up. When Peter comes, he goes right into the tomb. He wants to know exactly what's happened. Peter enters the tomb, looks intently, carefully examining the scene, and he sees the pieces of cloth too. He also sees the cloth that had been around Jesus' head, sitting there all neatly folded. Why is it important for John to note that in his gospel? Well, that means that nobody had stolen the body, not grave robbers, not Roman soldiers, and certainly not Jewish leaders. If any one of them had come and stolen the body, they wouldn't have left things so neat and tidy. They would have taken the body along with all of the cloths wrapped around it. There are those who say that Jesus only appeared to be dead on the cross. They say that when he was placed in the tomb, he was still alive, though perhaps just barely. And then the resurrection was not a real resurrection. But that doesn't explain how Jesus could have taken these burial cloths off of his own body 
Those cloths would have been tightly wrapped around his entire body. If he hadn't been dead when he arrived at the tomb, he probably would have suffocated after his body was wrapped for burial. This swoon theory, as it's sometimes called, also ignores the fact that crucifixion was nearly always a deadly punishment. The Jewish writer Josephus had three friends who had been crucified and then taken down alive from their crosses. They received medical attention, and even then, two of them died. To survive crucifixion was virtually impossible, especially if you had had a spear pierce your side. Jesus was truly dead when he was placed in the tomb. And now the cloths that had been wrapped around him were sitting there, and the headcloth neatly folded like a towel in a hotel bathroom. There was no sign of grave robbery. Something else must have happened to Jesus. Finally, John also steps into the tomb, entering the room cut out of the rocky hillside near Jerusalem. John now sees what Peter sees. He knows that Jesus' body has not been stolen or moved. Something else has happened. Something wonderful. The light goes on for John. Right then he remembers what the Lord Jesus had told him. John remembers how Jesus had said, if the temple was destroyed, in three days it would be built again. Jesus was referring to himself, to his body. John remembers how Jesus had said just a couple of days ago that he would go away and then come back again. Christ had taught the disciples that the Old Testament had said that it had to be this way. In the NIV version, verse 9 says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Better translation is, for up to that moment, they had not yet understood the Scripture that it was necessary for him to rise from the dead. In other words, standing there in the empty tomb, this is the turning point for Peter and John. Now they see and believe and understand. They understand now and believe what the Old Testament had prophesied about Christ and his resurrection. When John says scripture here in verse 9, he's referring to the Old Testament. Think of Psalm 16 and how that psalm speaks of God's Holy One having a body that is secure, a body that will not see decay. Think of Psalm 40 and how that psalm speaks of the king being lifted out of the pit, being given a firm place to stand and live. Think of Isaiah 53 verse 11. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Or think of a prophecy like Hosea 6, which speaks of Israel being restored on the third day to live in God's presence. The Lord Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy and all the others like it. The Lord Jesus was the fulfillment of the mother promise in Genesis 3, verse 15. 
the one who had a, would have victory over the serpent, over sin, over death. The Lord Jesus had to rise from the dead. Why? Well, think back to the connection again between sin and death. According to Paul in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Christ bore the curse of God against sin. He became sin for us, as we heard again on Friday. He paid the price in full. Sin was dealt with in exactly the way that God demanded, so it follows that death could not retain its hold on the Savior. Scripture teaches that death had to let go of him because sin had been vanquished. Because sin is vanquished, death must also be. Victory over sin must entail victory over death. Loved ones, that's part of the gospel for us too, because through faith we share in Christ's victory. John saw the empty tomb, and this was God's instrument to open his eyes. He believed He believed that Christ had risen from the dead, fulfilling what he himself had spoken and also what the Old Testament had said about him. This faith is not defined in any meaningful way. This new faith, John simply describes it as belief. He saw and believed. In fact, one of the remarkable things about this passage in John is the way in which the gospel writer simply lays out the facts. Elsewhere in this gospel, there's a lot of depth and a lot of interpretation that takes place, a lot of theology, you would say. But here in this passage, the gospel just gives the straight facts. The emphasis here is on the historical reality of what took place. On that Easter Sunday morning, at a specific time and place in real history, the heart of Jesus Christ began beating again. In real history, the lungs of the God-man began expanding and contracting again. On Easter Sunday morning some 2,000 years ago, suddenly the neurons in Jesus' brain began firing. He came back to life. And his disciple John saw and believed. Later in John 20, the Lord Jesus spoke with his disciples. One of the things he said can be found in verse 29. When the Lord appears to Thomas and his doubts are put to rest, Jesus says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Loved ones, we have not seen Jesus after he has risen from the dead. Unlike Mary, Peter, and John, we haven't seen the empty tomb. That's not a bad thing. Our Lord Jesus says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's a blessing for those who do not see Jesus or the empty tomb with their eyes and yet still rest and trust in Him, 
still believe that He is the risen Savior who has victory over sin and death. God will bless us when we believe in Christ without seeing that He is alive today and sitting at God's right hand. Why is that? Because God wants us to trust Him. God wants us to trust what He says in His Word. You see, brothers and sisters, in our text, God is putting a question to us this morning. Are you going to believe me just because I told you? God is asking us this morning, how much do you trust me? How much do you trust what I have revealed to you in Scripture? Of course, we all want to see the Lord Jesus someday. We will. If we believe in Him as the risen and victorious Savior, we will see Him, either when He comes back or when we die. But for today, Christ, with justification, with salvation, with every spiritual blessing. Paul says, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. And if God did that with the Roman Christians in the days of Paul, He will certainly do the same with us today. Scripture tells us something that is hard to believe. Somebody who was dead for three days came back to life. And to make things even more difficult to believe, he is still alive today, almost 2,000 years later. That human body that rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning continues to exist as a real physical entity. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We can't see if it's really true. At least we can't see it with our physical eyes. We can't see the empty tomb. We can only read the Bible. The Word of God tells us about the empty tomb. The Word of God tells us that Christ Jesus rose victoriously from the grave. Fellow believers, we must continue believing what the Bible says and be assured that Christ is right. We will be truly blessed for believing what we cannot yet see with our own eyes. Amen.